This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to our weekly program of fellowship and study. And Michael, not only do you give us the place, this beautiful place to come to, Franklin, Tennessee, but we have a community here that uh, is an important part of our program, too. We do, Wayne. This is a program that's about relationships. It's based on relationships, our relationships, for, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, a great time together around the Word. We and, have. And I'm, again, so grateful that you and Joe Carlson are willing to fly all the way from Chicago to do this uh, It's no problem, program. Michael. Well, <laughs> to come to a place like this. Well, here's uh, here's what's ahead on today's program. We're going to open the word to Hebrews chapter 1 with a special guest that we'll introduce in just a moment. But later, another friend of ours, Ken Cope, is going to come to the studio now. Introduce Ken to our listeners. Well, Ken is a good friend, a good brother. We've walked together for several years. He, for the lack of a better word, he's sort of a spiritual coach for me. Hmm. And uh, he's going to be talking to us about gifts, uh, that we aren't our gifts, and uh, how do we... Uh, determine our what our gifts are and how do we develop them. That'll come in the second half of our program. Uh, the program is called In the Studio, and what that means is not only are we in the studio, but Michael is in the studio where all this wonderful music from Michael Card comes from, and we're going to ask you to sing and play for us on today's program as well. We're going to hear El Shaddai in just a few moments. But a very important part of our time is centered on the Word of God, and today we've invited a friend. Now, I can go through the official introduction of our guest here, and I'll do that, do in, that a, yeah. in a moment. Well, uh-huh. let me do that in just just a moment, but okay. I want you to tell us who uh, who George Guthrie is. Well, uh, most of our listeners are familiar with William Lane and uh, how important he has been in, in uh, so many of our lives. Well, George is a person that I met through Bill. He is another of Bill's uh, students, as it were, uh, and he was a person that was encouraged and discipled by uh, Bill, and he'll talk mm-hmm. to us about that as well. And George, welcome to our program. Thank you very much. You guys are good friends, aren't you? We really are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We really are. Spent time together. Shall I give the official introduction of our guest here today? Yeah, I think you should. If it was me, I would want that. <laughs> All right. He's Dr. George Guthrie, chairman of the Department of Christian Studies and the Perry Professor of Bible at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. There, we got that out of the way. But friend, welcome to Thanks. our program. Thanks. George is mm-hmm. just fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a better friend than scholar, but an awesome scholar. <laughs> yeah. So that He's both, isn't yes, he? Thanks yes. for that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we're going to open the scriptures to Hebrews. This is a book that has uh, held a particular interest for you, George, and we're going to ask you to read and look at the scriptures with us here in just a moment. But let's get to some music. Michael, right here in this wonderful studio, this song is one that you are well known for, of course. It's called El Shaddai. Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Erechim Kana Son of Abraham, and by the power of your hand, turn the sea into dry land, and to the outcast on her knees, you were the God who really sees, and by your might you set your children free. El Elyona Adonai Age to age you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechim Kana Adonai We will praise and lift time of Christ was near, though the people could not see what Messiah ought to be, though your word contained the plan, they just could 
understand Your most awesome work was done Through the frailty of your son El Shaddai, El Shaddai Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that gives us tremendous stability as individuals and as community. And we thank you for this time today to come together as friends, to look at your word, to have strong encouragement from it as we are following you in this world that is tremendously difficult at points. And I pray that as we come together around your word now, that you would give us a clearer picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would see him as lifted up, that we would know that he is above all the powers of this world, and that we would follow him as he leads us on. So we thank you for the time. We pray that you would make your word clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 5. I'd like to read uh, in translation uh, the NIV, but then uh, right after that, uh, George is going to uh, translate it for us uh, okay. from Greek, Good. and I think that'll, that'll be a wonderful way to start into I'm the past. I'm glad you can do that, aren't you? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son today, I have become your father, or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. At various times and in various ways, formerly God, having spoken to the fathers by the prophets, in these last days he spoke to us by a son, whom he made heir of all things, through whom also he made the world who being the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his being, bearing all things by his powerful word, having made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in the highest place, having become as much better than the angels as superior to them, he has inherited a name. For to which of the angels has he ever said, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Hmm. Leaves a little question about Jesus, does it? It doesn't. It's pretty comprehensive. (laughs) Well, what a powerful passage to hear, particularly after hearing Michael sing El Shaddai here today. Yeah, the introduction to uh, the book of Hebrews, who Jesus is and, uh, and what he means. Uh, George, can you unpack what the author is intending? Well, in the ancient world, when um, people were introducing a sermon or even a, a public speech, they really wanted to do two things. They wanted to uh, grab the audience's attention uh, very quickly and not let them kind of drift off before they even got started. Um, and, and the author does that here by packing a lot of stuff in a very small amount of space. Uh, the other thing that an author wanted to do was to introduce the main themes of uh, the book or the sermon. And again, the author does that here with these, uh, especially the first four verses. 
he uh, he really touches on a lot of the themes that he's going to cover in the book of Hebrews. And what are those themes, just generally speaking? Well, you have a, a tremendous emphasis on God himself, uh, on Jesus as the Son, uh, the Son who created the whole world, the Son who uh, died as a sacrifice for our sins. Uh, this uh, allusion to Psalm 110.1 in verse 3, where he says he sat down at the right hand, this is uh, sprinkled throughout the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a very, very important uh, image based on Psalm 110.1 in the Old Testament. And uh, Jesus is uh, being compared to the angels uh, is going to really carry us through the first couple of chapters of the book. So he packs a lot in here in a short amount of space. What about this first verse, which I'm assuming is some sort of rhetorical device, in the past, but in these days? I mean, that sounds like a wonderful introduction. Yeah, what, what he's doing is he's uh, building up a parallelism here between the time prior to Jesus coming as Messiah and the time that was initiated with Jesus coming. And, and mm-hmm. what he does is he compares two ages. Uh, the former time uh, is what we think of as the Old Testament era is compared to these last days. And uh, what Jewish theologians meant by that uh, was the time uh, initiated with the coming of Messiah. So for us, it's every time, it's all of the time, excuse me, uh, from the point of Jesus coming all the way until the end of the age. Uh, So there are two eras there. So in the past, you've got forefathers and prophets, but in these present days... What is it you've got? Yeah, the part of the comparison is is God spoke in a lot of different ways through the Old Testament era, and He spoke to uh, the ancestors at that time. But now, He is speaking to us as New Covenant people, and He has given His ultimate word in the Son. So there's a comparison mm-hmm. here. You got lots of ways in the Old Testament over a long period of time. But the ultimate communication of God is found in the person of his son. I'm just thinking, I just got the picture of Hebrews then being a doorway from the old to the new. That's really what the whole book is about, isn't it? It it really is. It uh, it is our clearest example of uh, kind of a vigorous interpretation of the Old Testament uh, era and the comparison of uh, God's revelation at that time with what we find in in our New Testament. And he's leading a group of people whose world is the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Through That's a great image, through that door into the New Testament world, who Jesus is and what he means. Yeah, and I think uh, also he is dealing with some people who are becoming disillusioned because of their the persecution they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of them are being tempted to to go back into uh, Judaism. Because it makes sense and it's easier to understand. And it's what, they, it's know. what they know. Yeah. Right. It's what yeah. they, they know from their past. And what he's saying to them is that's not an option. When you understand how Jesus has fulfilled uh, these promises from the Old Testament, how he has established the new covenant um, and really paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, when you understand who he is and what he has accomplished on our behalf, then you understand, first of all, that it's not an option to turn back away from him. And secondly, that gives us a superior basis for enduring in the Christian life. Well, wait a minute. I just thought Hebrews was just a bunch of theology. <laughs> now, help, help me out in that. Well, um, it's there was in, a life situation behind uh, Hebrews? A very important yeah. one. Um, you know that, Michael. You know that. <laughs> he taught me most of this. <laughs> well, um, if you understand that uh, what the author is doing here is he's writing, first of all, as a pastor. Hmm. He, he is uh, a person who is concerned, just as we would be, as we look at our congregations, when you see someone getting out there on the edge, and uh, even those who have kind of turned their back and said, this stuff is just too hard, and walked away, I think the author is writing with, with a broken heart hmm. of a church leader. And uh, it's very important for us to, to understand that here, theology lays the foundation for some very practical concerns in the Christian life, the way we think in other words, is going to have implications for how we live. And for the author, uh, his main point is this. uh, You're not going to hang in there in the Christian life unless you really have a clear picture of who Jesus is 
and the significance of what he's done for us. Mm-hmm. He's the exact representation. I, I mean, don't you wish that you could write and pack as much into a few sentences as the writer of Hebrews does here? Well, he's already done it for us, so yeah. we don't have to, <laughs> thankfully. It's so rich. But you're though. right. It, you're it, right. It is. It is. It, it's just rich. Well, let me pause and just say for those who may have joined us late today that Dr. George Guthrie is with us, and uh, this is in the studio with Michael Card. Now, I didn't mention before, Michael, that one of the reasons why George uh, is able to bring these lessons to us so clearly is that he has actually written commentaries on the book of Hebrews. He's the author of the NIV application commentary on Hebrews and the new illustrated backgrounds commentary on Hebrews, uh, both published by Zondervan. So if anything we say today kind of sparks your interest in the Bible and you want some good uh, good commentary reading, uh, it's there. So mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we were talking about theology. It, is it safe to say then that Hebrews is, is a, could it be one of our best examples of theology really in service? Not theology as something that people do in an ivory tower apart from the real world, but uh, practical, applied theology that gives people hope. Is that... Correct. I think that's right. Uh, for the New Testament authors, we have to understand that this dichotomy between uh, being a, a thoughtful theologian and being a practical Christian who loves Christ and is going to follow Christ is a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. You've got to have both. You've got to think clearly about who God is. It's just like in, in our relationship, Mike, if I don't understand you, uh, then it's going to have an implication for the way we relate to one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it's, that's a false dichotomy. And what we need to challenge the church to is to say, we all need to be better theologians in, in the sense of thinking about God clearly. Mm-hmm. And we all need to continue growing in our walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to allow that dichotomy to, uh, to come in. And, and that, that's uh, very important. And one can't happen without the other. We can't proceed in our Christian life without this sort of uh, input into our lives that's, that is theological, that's rich, that's biblical. And, and the other thing happens as well. Unless you have a life that, that is um, centered around washing uh, feet and, and listening, loving other people by listening, I don't think you can understand the Bible unless you're in community like mm-hmm. that. And I think that's where a lot of people miss it. These are community books. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Mm. Well, George, we invited you here today as a scholar and a theologian, but, Michael, we're getting so much more. Uh, Infinitely more. Infinitely more. Well, I want to say (laughs) that, um, you know, the church at times has a tendency to take scholars and and put them up on a pedestal. If you Mm -hmm. knew how much I still need to learn, (laughs) uh, even about this passage, Mm -hmm. uh, you you might ask me to go ahead and leave the studio now. But... uh, (laughs) But well, really, uh, scholars have had a tendency to put themselves on pedestals. I know because I'm in a, I'm in music where people do the same, tend well, to do the same. Well, that's thing. true. But but the fact is, uh, unless we're living in this passage uh, very personally and constantly prayerfully asking the Lord to to help us to live out the implications of the passage, then we're not going to be approaching it correctly. You can't approach a passage from the New Testament simply as uh, a scholarly endeavor. Mm-hmm. You've got to to make the transition to to ask the question, how does this change my life? How does it help me persevere in the faith? How does it help me encourage brothers and sisters in the church? It's incarnational. Yeah. It has to be incarnated. Once again, the lesson is that uh, we need to be both. Whether we consider ourselves theologians or not, we ought to be students of God. Mm-hmm. As, That's as, right. And, and we ought to be, uh, that ought to change our lives so that we go out and do something about that. And any scholarship that is done should be done in the service of the church. Amen. Boy, Amen. that's a great lesson for yeah. us today. Well, let's pause right here. Can we hear some more of Michael's music, George? I know I'd love you appreciate to. <laughs> it as well. I would love to. All right, Michael is going to sing The Promise. God said when time was full, he would shine his light in the darkness. He said a virgin would conceive and give birth to the promise. For a thousand years the dreamers dreamt and hoped to see his love. But the promise showed their wildest dreams had simply not been wild enough. The promise was love and the promise was light. The promise meant light to the world 
Living proof that Yahweh saves For the name of the promise was Jesus The faithful one saw time was full And the ancient pledge was honored So God the Son, the incarnate one His final word, his own son Was born in Bethlehem came into our hearts to live what more could God have given tell me what more did he have to give what more could God have given tell me what more did he have to give the promise was love and the promise was light the promise meant light to the world living proof that Yahweh saved the name of the promise was Jesus. The promise was love and the promise was light. The promise meant light to the world. Living proof that Yahweh saves. For the name of the promise was Jesus. At last the proof Yahweh saves. The name of the promise was Jesus. Michael Card here in the studio with the song The Promise. Let's go back to Hebrews here, Michael. Uh, we're looking at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and it's amazing to me. In verse 1, we have God speaking, but immediately in verse 2, uh, the author shifts to this radical focus on who Jesus is. George, could you walk us through some of the content of these following verses? Yeah, there are about uh, eight statements here in all concerning Jesus. And we're not going to have time to go into all of those, but maybe I can just kind of give the highlights. Uh, He says, first of all, uh, that God has made him heir of all things. And the whole first chapter is is focusing on Jesus as the exalted Lord of the universe. Mm -hmm. He is the one who is higher than everyone else. A worship service might break out here. Angels (laughs) and thrones and all that imagery is awesome. That's right. And it ties into some of uh, Paul's type of language where, you know, he says Jesus, as a result of going through the pain of death, has been exalted, you know, above every name. There's some of the same type of theology going on here. But the idea is that Messiah would be the one who would come and take his rightful place as the Lord over the whole universe. Mm. And then he says, uh, through whom also he made the world, which is also a common New Testament confession Mm -hmm. that Jesus is the agent uh, of creation. In fact, when you get over into chapter 1, where he is quoting a number of Old Testament passages there, Boy, the, the language is rich. He, say, he says, he is the one who has laid the foundations of the world. Wow. Just, just like uh, when we built our house, we had to dig a foundation trench, and it had to be done to code because mm-hmm. that foundation gives stability mm-hmm. to the house. The imagery here says Jesus is the one who is so awesome and exalted. He is the one who created the whole world in a way that it would be stable. Wow. And then upholds it. And that's right. Holds he, it together. He's also the one who who bears uh, all things. Uh, and that's a little bit further down, but that's right. He not only is the one who laid the foundations of the world, he is the one who governs the world. And this is probably a reference to passages like, uh, or at least is in line with passages like Psalm 33, which says, it is by the word of God that the world is maintained. And then the other imagery that you have uh, over in chapter 1 is um, that he is also the one who will wrap it up at the end. Wow. (laughs) And and I love love this imagery. Uh, If you look a little bit farther down in uh, verses 8 through 12, he says that uh, just like an old garment— Jesus is going to roll up the universe in Mm. the end and pack it away. And Mike, I know that you have shirts that your wife is wanting to do away with (laughs) right now. I do too. I have shirts that I love to work out in the yard in, and my wife every now and then... in her discernment and grace, will uh, go in <laughs> and disappear. And t- take that out of the closet, <laughs> and she will pack it away uh, yeah. somewhere. And that's what the author says uh, using these Old Testament passages, that Jesus is not only one who started it all in the beginning, maintains it through his word, but at the end, 
He is going to take the universe and roll it up like an old piece of clothing and just Mm. pack it away. In this passage, what sticks out the most and draws me is that uh, the sun is the exact representation. Well, let let me say a word about uh, these twin statements that you have here in in, uh, verse 3. He says, first of all, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory. Mm Mm-hmm. And probably this is alluding to the Shekinah glory mm-hmm. that we have in the Old Testament. It's, if more, it's more than a reflection. Yeah, I, I don't think reflection is the best translation no, we're, of we're the term. We're the reflection, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, I, I don't think reflection is the best translation here. Uh, if you remember those passages in the Old Testament where the tabernacle was there and Moses would go out to meet with the Lord, uh, it's described, for instance, in uh, Exodus 33, and the presence of God would come down into the camp and settle on the tabernacle. Um, Jesus the, is that radiance. That's right. He is the he is the radiance of the glory. Um, that would be the glory, the Shekinah glory. But here's the point. Uh, if I had a flashlight here, and it was dark, and I was shining that flashlight, you couldn't make a distinction between the light and the radiance of the light. Mm-hmm. And so what he is saying here is that Jesus is so closely identified with the Father, with the presence of God, that he is, he is when you see Jesus, you see the presence of God reflected. Hmm. And then he says that he is the exact representation of his uh, being, uh, the essence of who God is. And this word that we translate the exact representation was used in the ancient world of a stamp or the hmm. impression made by a stamp. But uh, an image I like to use uh, is if you looked, if you had a picture of my son, you would see wow. the reflection of the father in the mm-hmm. face of the son. Mm-hmm. My image has been stamped, in a sense, on Joshua. Mm-hmm. And so the, the point of both of these uh, statements is the close identification of Jesus with the father. Uh, when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Mm-hmm. Man, that brings such wonderful uh, light to us here today. Uh, Michael, I see why George is such a good friend and mm-hmm. someone that you, you've you learned much from. Well, it, it's so wonderful to have someone who can field questions and who can engage in uh, this kind of... We do this all the time. <laughs> and you do it sitting in your living room sometimes, <laughs> right, and we get to right. eavesdrop today here on the radio. On the floor, and we get very agitated <laughs> while we're doing it. So. But you never argue. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> George Guthrie, thank you for being with us in the studio today with Michael Card. You've got to come back, though. Thank you so much for having me. And if this conversation has raised further questions in your mind, then pass those along to us. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And if you'd like to listen to this program again or learn more about Michael's ministry, join us on the web at michaelcard.com. In just a few moments, we'll be joined in the studio with Michael's spiritual coach, Ken Cope, on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Once again, we are in the studio with Michael Card, a unique program. I'm Wayne Shepherd, unique because we get to talk about the things we get to talk about, Michael, and we get to enjoy your music as well. So again, I, uh, I welcome all of our listeners back for the second half of today's program. Now let's talk about uh, our next guest here. This is someone that you introduced me to a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and it's had a tremendous impact on my life already. Yeah, I, I think Ken knows me better than uh, anybody else. I mean, even in some ways better than my wife, Susan. <laughs> But here's the really amazing thing. He still likes me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is that so hard? Well, it's got to be grace or something or, I don't know, blindness or anyway. But, yeah, Ken Cope is here with us. Uh, He's a wonderful spiritual coach. Uh, Counselor, but he doesn't like the word counselor so much. I didn't know that. What's wrong with counselor, Ken? Oh, I like the word coach. Uh, I've done some work in the NASCAR rims and... uh, I went up and uh, to one guy, and he said, "Are you a therapist?" And I said, "Oh no, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm here to help your driver." And and uh, he just sat down for the next hour and just poured his heart out and <laughs> cried. And, and if I'd have said I was a therapist, he'd yeah. he'd have never yeah. said a thing. He'd so. have gone, long gone, huh? So, but coaches are more proactive. It's something where we're helping people get on with their purpose in life, and 
we stopped to do counseling to ferret out the roadblocks and the log jams and to really get on what got to purpose. Well, as Michael has said, I know how influential you have been in his life and keeping him in tune and on track for Christ. And I really appreciate you being with us today, Ken. Oh, thanks. Thank Good to you. be here. Now, Michael, uh, we often talk about uh, issues that relate to creativity and community on the program. This mm-hmm. is kind of combining both of those elements as we talk to Ken today. It, it really is. And, and that's that's one of uh, just one of Ken's special gifts is listening to the lives of people who are called uh, to the creative uh, call. Mm-hmm. That's a little redundant. Uh, called to be creative. And helping them to realize certain things that are just true about uh, our lives, most especially, at least the one that's impacted me the most, is this idea that we aren't our gifts. And that has helped me so much because I think for the longest time I labored under that uh, misunderstanding. But it was Ken who uh, just one day you know, said, you know, your gift is wearing you out. You're not your gift. There have been other things that have been helpful, but I think that's the one that stands out the most. Well, Ken, you need to explain yourself. What do you mean that we are not our gift? Well, uh, using Mike as an example, if I can do That's that. That's fine. <laughs> Giddy pig. Go ahead, doctor. Uh, it, it's many, many times I've heard uh, people around Mike uh, really just thank thank God for the talent that he is. And uh, and he is not his talent. He is uh, God has created all of us as souls in the time for which he's placed us uh, with a purpose. Uh, Paul says in the, to Timothy, uh, be about finding your ministry. And he's saying, find your purpose. And for every purpose, God has equipped all of us with a gift to help us do that and fulfill that purpose. So um, our soul has uh, appetite and our gift has appetite. Hmm. Uh, But it's different. I am not my talent. Uh, I am a person with a certain kind of heart, a certain kind of uh, characteristics about that heart that can manifest itself as a counselor. Uh, It can manifest itself as a coach. It can manifest itself under a bunch of different labels. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to our world, it wants to be a little bit bit too quick and dirty and label everything so that we can control it. And and, uh, Mike is more than his talent. Mm -hmm. He's a wonderful soul. So, again, I hope you don't mind, Michael, but um, the songs that Michael writes and the concerts that he gives, they may touch our souls deeply, Mm -hmm. and we may appreciate that gift. But we shouldn't look at Michael, and, and we should see something more. It really degrades the image of God in us when we when mm-hmm. we uh, when we look at it any well, differently. People, doesn't it? people have come up to me for a long time and said, um, "Gee, uh, I just feel like I know you because I've listened to your music for so <laughs> yeah. long." And, and it's only been since I've been with Ken Cope that I'll look at them these days and say, "Well, you don't know me. <laughs> I'm glad you like the music, but you don't know me. You just know the good stuff. There's mm. there's a lot of bad stuff and." And some good stuff still that you don't know. So is that okay, Ken? Yeah, it's like uh, we were talking earlier. Uh, it's like going up to a, one of Rembrandt's paintings uh, and in a split second saying, oh, boy, I, I know this painting. And, treat, and really you're treating it like a paint by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, God has created us so complex uh, and everybody's so unique. I, I, one of the guys that mentored me in the understanding of giftedness, a guy named Ralph Matson. Um, one of the things I got from him that sunk deeply is that you and Mike and myself represent uh, an aspect of the person of God that no one else can represent. When I die, it goes with me. Mm. God is so huge. God is so awesome. There's so much of him to go around that uh, we will only know that part of God through you. Wow. Wow. So I represent God uniquely. As me, and you mm-hmm. represent God uniquely as you. Wow, that's I've never heard that. And uh, and since then, I've realized uh, that when I sit down with someone, I'm looking for that unique picture wow. that they're reflecting to their world with God, and that wraps into the into the purpose uh, of what God has called them to do. And what does the world want to do with that picture, with that image of God? That they really uh, want to do something that's kind of again quick and dirty label, label just whatever they feel like they can handle mm-hmm. or whatever helps them uh, get about get what they need. Mm. Uh, but they don't. Many times the world uh, treats it just like they treated Jesus. Mm. Uh, they won't let it shine through for what it is. Uh, I think a good example that we we're talking about again earlier is that when Jesus was here. 
uh, people saw him uh, and wanted him for what he could do for them. Mm. Yes, he was. They were using him in that sense. Yeah, the Jews yeah. wanted him to be king, mm-hmm. uh, and and wanted him to be the king to lead them against Rome to mm-hmm. be back on top. And because guess what, he could heal the sick. Mm. Heal up all the sword wounds. Yeah. What have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feed them, and so they were. They were missing the point of why why he was here because they were missing his person. Wow, and still are, and still are. Yeah, um, many times I find even in myself as I grow, uh, one of the saddest but relieving things that God's been working on in my own heart lately is the fact that there's so many times that I see Him as there for me. He was created for me. When in reality, I was created for him and his good pleasure. Mm-hmm. I think the idea yeah. of being bought with a price uh, in recent years, last couple of years, has I'm beginning to understand what that means mm-hmm. a little bit better. Uh, and so it's his privilege to uh, uh, put his image in me and then to call it out. I think most of the world in Christendom, when we talk about giftedness, uh, we want to identify it and put a quick label on it, but we want to put a label on someone rather than take the meticulous time that it takes to listen to God and to really see you as he sees you and to help woo it out of you versus just sticking a label on it. You know, a practical example of that is I'm sure many listeners in their workplace have been given tests Mm-hmm. And these tests are personality profiles of what they are like and, and how they would tend to act in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're saying, I think you're saying that those tests are fine, mm-hmm. but they only go so far. They don't really reveal the inner man, do they? Yeah, good. Uh, all assessments come out of two basic paradigms. Uh, the uh, personality type assessments where you fill in the blank and fill in the little bubble on the test. With a number two pencil. With a number yeah. two pencil. Sure. And don't fold the test paper. <laughs> uh, those come out of the what's called a mechanistic paradigm, a scientific paradigm, uh, more of a psychological approach. And those uh, assessments, uh, well, the best way to say it is uh, if we were to uh, try to tell what a frog was, uh, that paradigm would take the frog, kill it, cut it open, pin it all apart and label all of its part and say, we have frog. <laughs> okay. But the more, I think, biblical, uh, more what's called organismic paradigm takes that frog and without being intrusive upon it, well, follows it around for a period of time. Just watches months, it being a frog. Just watches it being a frog <laughs> and sees what it chooses, sees what kind of flies it likes, what kind of bugs it leaves alone. Uh, just see what it does, what frogs it chooses to be with and not. <laughs> um, and then then we have the essence of frog. And which would you rather be, dissected or observed? <laughs> <laughs> right. The end product is, the, is everything. <laughs> well, it's really what they did in biblical times when they were trying to, trying to choose who was going to be the deacons and who was going to lead the church. How so? In Acts, they basically observed who was doing the service and chose them versus giving them a psychological test to try to figure that out and then put them in a place according to a, a very limited label. So they were qualified to be deacons because they were already doing the work of a deacon. Well, when it talks about elders is another mm-hmm. good example. Uh, it, it says these are the qualities of, le- of an elder, not that we're to measure up to, but they should be in us because mm. they are they flow out of us due to the Spirit and what God has developed in our heart. One of the things that uh, I've heard Ken say a lot of times is desire reveals design. Mm. The desires that you have reveal the way God has designed you. So when someone has a desire to serve or you know, mercy ministry or hospitality or uh, whatever the gift is, that's a good way of revealing what God has designed them and called them out to do. Mm-hmm. But it takes community, I think, or it takes it takes help. Uh, to look at your life and and to to see well you know what you really have been called to this or you know you, you think you should be this but that really isn't your gift and uh, and that's an important part of community can that be done by anybody anytime or does it take a team of kind of close uh, personal friends to be able to do that with someone 
I think the most thing it takes is people to be willing to just spend time with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to have a, a special training per se. It would it would help. Um, it helps you quantify the information, but mm-hmm. basically the goal is the same, isn't well, it? Well, the training, like the training I do have, I, I was basically mentored over five years in this. Uh, and he didn't sit down and have me read books, and he just let me watch him. Hmm. And then he watched me. That takes time. And in a fast world, uh, even in Christendom, we don't want to take time. Mm-mm. We just want to get to the end. We just want to get to the result. Yeah. We just want the outcome. When God, as Mike has written very amply, there's joy in the journey here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just miss out on that by being in a hurry and not taking the time. I, I recently helped uh, a particular church uh, do an interview of, for an executive pastor. And a wonderful search team, uh, just lovely men, of which I'm friends with some of them. Um, we They had three candidates, and we, we interviewed them. And uh, just being able to uh, ask the right questions to get underneath what people's best foot forward would present, uh, which is not bad were to do that, but but being able to ask certain questions and to really pull out the essence of who they were so they knew what they would really get in the position. Mm-hmm. And, and when we were done, they were just like, wow, this is really neat. And they learned. And by the last interview, I didn't do anything. They were <laughs> doing it all. It just took a, It just took someone taking time to say, why don't you just look right here mm-hmm. and to be willing to get out of the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. We tend to like boxes because they tend to be comforters. And I find God is always taking my boxes away from mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. he wants to be my comforter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he will lead us in some uh, different directions if uh, we'll, he will just let him. Scary places sometimes. Ken, we often um, talk about uh, determining each other's spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. And taking inventory of that, um, I guess that's okay, I'm hearing you say, but there's something far deeper where we should be starting. That's, starting with the spiritual gifts is wrong, right? Well, I wouldn't say it's wrong. i just say it's a timing placement issue. Um, we're all born with a set of gifts. God equips us with that. Uh, it says in Psalm 139, you know, he's, he's woven us in our mother's womb. And if you know anything about the weaving process, it's very intricate and very time-consuming. Um, and uh, my children, well, I'll give a story about my son to illustrate this. Uh, when he was just uh, 12 to 18 months old, we were at a friend's house, and he, we came down the stairs, and we almost tripped over all these cars, and we got over them and looked back at them, and all the cars were lined up, reds, yellows, blues, all the lights were pointing out, and they were evenly spaced about a half inch apart. Now, that's 12 to 18 months old. I didn't teach him that, okay? <laughs> it came out early, and, of course, we teased that he was going to grow up to be a parking attendant. <laughs> but um, but they're there. They're there that early. Um, and so we get as parents to help shape those gifts if we recognize them as a gift. I recently took my son through and my daughter through this uh, process myself because I wanted to know them. And my son has leadership gifts, uh, which means uh, he comes in and he likes to run the household. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't recognize that as a gift, I would feel like he's just trying to dominate and control. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he isn't. He's trying to sprout wings. He's trying to get out of that cocoon wow. of teenagerism. And now that I know that, I I intentionally try to find places to where he can be in charge. And I let him change my mind on some things. And yet there are certain things where I say, you know, I know you want to fly, but um, this is not one. (laughs) You can fly over there, but not here. And uh, so, and uh, so that makes sense? Yes. That's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. We have our youngest daughter is an organizer and you helped us see the same thing in in a timely way too, because we were beginning to see her as a controller. Mm-hmm. But in fact, she just, you know, here, okay, you need to sit here and you need to sit here and, and I'll leave. You know, she's eight years old. Daddy, did you lock the door? Uh, do you have your car keys? Are you, you know, it's, she's doing that whole thing. And it, it really is a gift that she has. Mm-hmm. And and if you recognize it early enough, you can nurture it and treat it as a gift. I think that's what you're saying mm-hmm. inst- instead of misinterpreting it and calling it. 
you know, something it, bad. Yeah, it. so many times uh, when you work with couples, and I've taken entire families through our process of assessing their giftedness, and and just decades of problems have been resolved mm. just by going, oh, that was a gift I was dealing with, and mm. I didn't recognize it because, particularly in a marriage, all of my wife's gifts fall into my areas of deficits, mm. almost all of them. Mm. And when you're newly married, you don't recognize that, and it and it and it's painful because yeah. I'm exposed as not having it, being <laughs> yeah. a mess. Yeah. And she's great, and I don't want to be down there. I want right. to be up there. And so we wind up threatening each other with the greatest thing we have to offer to bless one another. Mm. So what initially is a conflict can turn into such a compliment if we're patient and take the time to really let God's Spirit um, help us uh, really see beyond the initial conflict or struggle. As we talk about these things today in the studio, and by the way, our guest is Ken Cope along with Michael Card. I'm just sitting here wondering, is this a a formal process or can this be informal in the community, in the body of Christ? Can we just sort of affirm each other and do this without making it a a thing? You know what I mean? Uh, I think any group, if they're willing to be honest and direct and, again, spend time to make observations to where you don't put it on someone, but you say, it looks like... I see you doing this over and over mm-hmm. again. Uh, Can I just it, tell you something I've observed about yeah. your life? Mm-hmm. Would that be? Yeah, and, and does this feel right to you? And and if it is right, it'll feel right to the person, and something in their spirit will go, yeah, that that is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to be careful because my observation uh, might not be exactly on target in an informal setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go back and pick up and answer uh, part of the question you asked earlier that fits here, uh, spiritual gifts are there are many inventories, and they're very good. My wife has taught a class on uh, one of those. It's really good. But our spiritual gifts grow out of the God-given natural gifts that God has given us. Mm. God, I mean, think about this. God is very efficient. He's not going to equip us with a set of gifts, and then we become Christians, and all of a sudden give us something new that mm-hmm. we have to relearn. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Um, there are situations where uh, God in the moment, particularly in the early church, would rain down a set of gifts like you did on the day of Pentecost and other situations mm-hmm. for the moment to meet the, his need, the need that he's trying to meet at the time. Uh, and those gifts will go away. Uh, but these gifts are gifts that God equips us for a lifetime. And what I find as I walk people through our assessment process, they always correlate with what they fill out in the inventories. Hmm. Uh, people who wind up with the gifts of dominion and power, as an example, which is a wonderful gift. Those people are always in charge of pulling something together, rallying the troops, and taking a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, those people who are more maximizing in nature, who are always trying to improve things and make them better, um, if they had a bit of have a bit of visionary there, they're the ones that are always making things always better. Uh, if they're more maintaining, they just keep it well oiled and grooved, keep things going in that path. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got people like Mike. Uh, pick on Mike again. Yeah, see, I'm waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> this happens every time we're together. I'm always saying, okay, tell me who I am. <laughs> uh, Mike has a set of gifts that even if he wasn't in music, uh, he has an ability that when you're in his presence, you just are drawn to him. Hmm. He has what we call star quality. Uh, Billy Graham is a great example. And there's not a negative connotation to that at all. Uh, no, what makes it negative is, uh, again, if you're opaque or transparent. Or you consider yourself to be your gift. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, when you, think of, when you think of Dr. Graham, your mind goes to Dr. Graham, and then what's it do? It goes right to the gospel, sees hundreds of people coming to know Christ. So he's transparent. We see through him to Christ. Mm-hmm. We see through him to a purpose. Uh, when you think of Michael Card and, and who he is, I think of joy in the journey. I think of uh, what it is to be in community. Um, and, and, and when I hear Mike's music, I see Mike and I see the wonderful soul that he is, but he points someplace else. It's like the American flag. It's what we look at it, but then we think of history and it points someplace else. Mm. So if, if, when I'm opaque, um, there, and there are many stars that are like this, People look at me and it stops at me, and it's all about me. Mm. And that's one of the things that uh, 
that is kind of the lost art of spirituality is that this world and everything in it is about God and God alone. It's not about me. Hmm. It's about what we point to. Hmm. Amen. Well, Michael, as we've talked to Ken today, I think the same thing has happened to me uh, in the short time that we've spent together. It often happens to you whenever you encounter this friend. You just feel better and you feel like uh, God maybe is at work in your life. You feel seen and you feel listened to, which I think is something of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ken, thanks for uh, spending time to be with us again. It's always good to see your face. Thanks, Mike. And Ken, uh, you brought something up today that we hadn't thought to do. It's been a while since we've asked Michael to sing Joy in the Journey. Mm -hmm. And after our conversation today, I think it would be the appropriate way to close today's program. So can we ask him to do that right now? That'd be great. Mike, you'd be willing to do that? Oh, yeah. Joy in the Journey, Michael Card. To all who've been born of the Spirit And who share incarnation Belong to eternity, stranded in time, and weary of struggling with sin. Forget not the hope that's before you, and never stop counting the cost. Remember the hopelessness. provoking time today with both George Guthrie and Ken Cope. I'm glad you've been able to sit in with us in the studio with Michael Card. We hope that you'll take a moment and send us your thoughts about the program as well as your Bible questions and even prayer requests. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. That address again in the studio at michaelcard.com. And if you're a new listener to the broadcast, you can check out more information about this program and Michael's music and writing ministry on the web. Come explore for yourself when you click on www.michaelcard.com. Find out about the exciting features available for those who become members of a section we call the community. And if you'd like to go back and listen to this broadcast again, then go to our radio page for the audio archive. CD copies or printed transcripts of this or any in the studio program are available to order. Also just out is Michael's newest book on the emotional life of Simon Peter, titled A Fragile Stone. Click for all the details when you stop by michaelcard.com. Next week, more music and challenging conversations centered on God's Word. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, our producer Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.